we're already starting to obsolete cryptocurrency exchanges like the 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 exchange titans of the crypto.coms the krakens that whatever else we're already starting to obsolete that with decentralized and so at at some point it you will be able to tell and by some point i mean like a few years not even that far from now you will be able to tell someone hey just sign up for just download this wallet this app and you can have the peak financial system of the world at your fingertips without trusting any centralized custodian or third-party intermediary. Wonderful, sweet. Um, let's go. So, okay. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Uh, today, I'm delighted to be joined by Joel Valenzuela, uh, second time back on the show, uh, cryptocurrency user and liberty advocate. Joel, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, no problem at all, man. Um, you have been popping up on my Twitter timeline a lot, and that's why I decided to ask you back on, because you've been tweeting about a lot of interesting ideas, and I wanted to chat. Um, so the, the first one that I saw the other day tweeted by yourself and, and like a number of other people actually was, uh, this video, if I can find it here right now, that would be excellent. Um, a video talk, uh, where people are at the Bitcoin conference in Amsterdam, um, and mm -hmm. they are discussing why the lightning network is not functioning as they would like it to. And basically that they need to find another way of building on top of like layer one Bitcoin. So do you want to give uh, like a bit of a, a, a breakdown basically of, of why we've come to this point where Lightning, the Lightning Network that I've had a lot of people on this show in the past talking about mm -hmm. why they thought it was, you know, going to be the, the the next level of Bitcoin that was going to make it like far more accessible for lots of people to pay. And it was going to, you know, that was going to be the next step basically in uh, the evolution of this particular cryptocurrency into the currency that we all use day to day. So why has that not worked? basically yeah so i mean this is this could be a three-hour show <laughs> from just this moment just on this one subject but uh at some for those of us who were around back in the day uh, at some point in around 2017 is where the block size wars as it was known kind of heated up where basically bitcoin came to a fork in the road no pun intended that i'm sure everyone's used before anyway uh where should the network scale on chain and just make blocks bigger and everything like that with a possible uh, loss of decentralization because fewer people could run nodes. And again, I'm not making arguments here. I'm presenting, presenting the arguments that mm -hmm. they were right that way, or should Bitcoin stay very accessible for anyone to be able to run it, but push a lot of traffic onto second layer solutions that, that don't necessarily have have to have the same kind of setups. Mm -hmm. And so when Bitcoin went in the latter direction and when it did, in order to support, I guess the, in order to support that direction, two big things were, two big ideas were sort of floated around. One is of course, that you can't change Bitcoin via hard fork. You can't 
which you can, but it, that it's too dangerous or there's some big problem that it should absolutely never be done, which is a hard fork is a breaking change that basically every single user node, everything on the network has to upgrade or they will, it'll stop working or they'll accidentally split off into a, a different Bitcoin. So that argument was used mostly to stall the big block argument saying like, well, we can't just increase the block size because that would be a hard fork and that's too dangerous. And so then the other thing is, look, we can do this via something like the Lightning Network. This is an example of how this can change. And so because of those two things, um, first of all, the Lightning Network was engineered, in my opinion, and probably, I mean, I don't know how many people could fully disagree, but is engineered to do, be, do the best job it could with the parameters it had, which is, Again, no hard forks, no major changes to the Bitcoin protocol. So a lot of the ways that Lightning, had, a lot of the difficulties it has are because it has to do its best with this very narrow constraint. And the other thing is the Lightning Network has been, and this is the biggest one, it has been shoehorned uh, into a general purpose scaling solution kind of thing. And so when you come on and have people come on and talk about Lightning's awesome, it does all these things, all this kind of stuff, they're presenting lightning as bitcoin but a cheaper faster you know way of using bitcoin that same way mm -hmm. and i think that unfortunately if you try to use lightning purely like that a lot of things start to not not really work out super well and so um lightning has some interesting uses i think it would be great for for example if you let everyone on twitter tip someone by pressing a button mm -hmm. and if you had like a, a closed loop ecosystem of users with a big hub and spoke model there, it would make sense to use something like that. Or if you're using large financial institutions like exchanges, the cryptocurrency exchanges or other parties, uh, settlement, instant settlement between those exchanges uh, where you have a lot of bi-directional traffic, not just one way where, where you're paying your coffee day after day, it's all one way, but it's these two known parties or three or four, and you're going back and forth constantly between those two. And that's the kind of thing it really, I think it works well at. Hmm. But the peer-to-peer -peer payment method that has been sort of, so when I criticize Lightning, I mostly criticize its use case for this purpose. That it's just been, because there's too much momentum, too many people have sold the idea of, Bitcoin can work, it can scale if you scale it on a second layer. And this is the second layer we're using because this is the one second layer that that we can actually implement without making significant changes to the protocol right now. Or even insignificant, but there's um there's also a lot of like VC money and stuff like that behind Lightning Network development. And so mm -hmm. all the money and every money goes this way, everything goes that way. So that's sort of the grand overview of this thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, follow the money. That's always the way, isn't it? Really, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, it's, it's 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 both predictable and scary um, at the same mm -hmm. time. You know, so you're saying that that what you're saying about Lightning is interesting um, in terms of like, for example, within like a Twitter model, so within like a, a closed ecosystem, so people could like load up. Uh, so yeah, it would be contained like you probably have to put it like in your twitter wallet or something like that um mm -hmm. and that's probably 
something similar to where they're going. Do you know what I mean? They've talked about X payments and, and stuff like this. So they're either going to make their own coin or um, token or they'll adopt like mass use of all of them and or try and integrate as many as possible, I guess. Um, but what, what, what way do you think that the X will go with that, actually? Yeah, I would guess it's not going in the lightning direction at all. Now, um, Jack Dorsey, Twitter founder, who's now busy on Nostar and Blue Sky and some other things like that, um, he's very a very big fan of that of using Lightning. However, if I were to you know present it, you know speculate with my opinion rather than you know give facts here, mm -hmm. I would say he's probably just really bought into the Bitcoin vision and. He's more just listening to other people, what other people are saying mm -hmm. is going to happen. And rather than being, if you've ever used Nostr, um, the that decentralized social media protocol, which I think is a very cool and fascinating way of doing things, mm -hmm. um, the user experience is just, it's not something that the masses are ever, ever going to use, I don't think, unless someone builds a lot of other things on top of it. And I see him in there every day having fun. And it's, it's not, he's not building, he's not, he built Twitter. If he really asked himself, is this going to work out like this? He would know the answer to that, but mm -hmm. he's having fun and let him, let him have his fun. But the point with um, Twitter, uh, something about the Lightning Network that uh, probably makes it, uh, that, that really where you run into all the friction is mm -hmm. with any other major blockchain, uh, I can send any money I have, I can send it to anyone on the world any address in the world, any time, any amount, and it'll go through. Mm -hmm. Or it might, if it's a congested network like Bitcoin or Ethereum, it might take a while to go through or maybe expensive, but it's still anyone to anyone, it works. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Lightning, uh, anyone to anyone absolutely does. The anyone to anyone transaction capacity of the Lightning network is zero. And I, my ability to transact with you and how much it changes rapidly so if i want to send you know say ten dollars your way mm -hmm. um it might work maybe it works but even if it does work if i want to send 15 that might not work even if i have the 15 and if i try to send it to then a neighbor oh it might neither might work but then someone else down the way maybe 500 will work for that person who knows because of the way the the it scales not globally but peer to, but peer to peer could, and could you the could channels. you explain sorry someone I, the people have definitely explained yes. this to me before but could you run through yep. why that's the case because that's not how quite how i understood it working mm -hmm. yeah so um obviously trying to explain playing network simply is always going to be a gargantuan task but i'll do my best but basically uh what lightning is is a it's a network of connected bi-directional payment channels. And that's the more technical, complicated way of saying, uh, you and I have a, like, if we're playing, um, if we're playing like a poker game or something, just two of us, and we put money down and we're playing for the mutual amount. And at the end of the night, we decide who gets what. That's what the Lightning Network is. It's that, but then you're connected to someone else. You have a two-way with someone else. And you can end up passing two ways on. So if I have, if we have thirty dollars in the pot mm -hmm. with us, 
And then you have like $30 in the pot with someone else. The way I pay that person is I have to pass it to you first. I have to pass some to you first, and then you pass it over to the other person. And the total capacity has to, is limited by how much is in each individual pot. So if you have five hops down, whichever is the weakest link in that thing, like say, you know, you only have $3 worth um, in this pot with someone else. If I want to pay them $5, you have the five, you and I have the $5 in common. I have it to pay, but you don't have that with that person. Then it's not going to work. It's going to mm -hmm. fail, which is where the, that the, the conference that they were showing about the, the payment failure thing is it's a real thing. The payment failures have, they, they have to fail. And the only way to get around that is by, um, uh, significantly reducing the number of potential variables. So if you can understand if there's a hundred people using lightning, uh, the way this works, the absolute best is if all these hundred people route through a single entity, like say a bank, if a bank has a big pot of money, then it's very well connected. And then also if there's a broken link somewhere, like I want to send $10 to that person over there, but that person over there only has $5 in capacity the bank can fix it real quick and update the payment channel and take on the cost to do that. And then it works really well. But, and then you can basically guarantee a very high success rate in paying that way. Cause it's just this to that, this is a very well-connected high liquidity node. But if it's just like a patchwork of individuals who might have a few bucks here, whatever there, that's when it starts to like, okay, do I have a route? And then the longer, the longer the route, the longer it takes. So like in, when I was using my lightning node, I would send a payment. Sometimes it'd be like 12 seconds cause it was looking for routes. Like well, it took a little while. Whereas if it's just instant, it's instant. And so it, because of the way it scales, um, what you do, what it do, what it does very well is it allows for instant settlement and, or I wouldn't, it's arguable if it's settlement because you'd still have to close a channel to get like the actual Bitcoin you move into your hardware wallet, but instant confirmations, it works really well. And it works really well for, um, high volume, high numbers of payments, especially back and forth, but not high volume. So for example, if you have 500 or a thousand dollars in your lightning wallet, which is arguably you should just use on chain for a large amount like that. But if you did that, you'd probably be able to send to a very few Lightning Network participants because almost no channel along there has the capacity to handle that. Mm. And so localized is where it works. And the problem is you're trying to create a global payment network. It's just not working. Or the way it works is if you have several large bank-like entities that everyone connects to, and then, okay, well, if you don't have, if you're Chase Bank, um, if you're, you route to a Chase Bank customer, it's super easy. But, you know, if you have a Bank of America one, Chase has to then route to them and then that person, but it still works out. And so that's kind of where we're at with, with Lightning is we're sort of at this big fork in the road where the free market doesn't lie, right? The free market tells you what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's stalling out in this very peer-to-peer, -peer, highly connected sort of way. And the only way it's working is through large centralized and custodial kind of actors to you know work with them and take some of that uh, energy off or some of that transaction volume off the main network and
unfortunately, that's a little bit of a the opposite of what we were hoping, or I wouldn't say we, but uh, what a lot of lightning advocates were hoping it would it would do really well. And mm-hmm. so we're at this fork in the road where I think a lot of Bitcoiners are starting to look at other options or they're starting to look and hope there's other options they can use as a better scaling solution yeah um i just i i yeah maybe maybe it was the people had sold it too well to me but yeah i just hadn't hadn't considered it to that level do you know what i mean where i i hadn't realized that there was so much potential for failure if the network if there wasn't a sufficient path like as far as I understood it, there would always be a path. Maybe they've been speaking like more hypothetically. Um, yeah, the bottleneck that I don't think people talk about is the capital bottleneck. It's not connectivity. I'm sure you could create out a network where everyone is connected as a channel with somebody, but just the fact that if I want to send like a hundred dollars through on Lightning because the tab went too high, had too many drinks at, <laughs> with dinner or whatever, and now it's expensive. Uh, even if I'm connected to everyone, just the fact that there's not going to be money every step of the way. And, or if I do one payment, then I, I completely clear out all those channels. I can only do it once until they manually rebalance or someone sends through the other way. So that's the other thing that people aren't really considering is it's very capital expensive because if let's just say Elon Musk decided to enable native crypto tipping not just this what the where it is now where you can link to your wallet or something like that but integrated crypto tipping Mm -hmm. if you wanted to do that uh for i don't know let's just say something like litecoin or something or dash or whatever something that that can actually handle a lot of volume uh, in order to create it costs nothing other than infrastructure costs like he has to run a bunch of nodes i'm sure and he has to like build out the wallet software and stuff other than that it costs nothing to allow every bit, every single one of the 220 or so million Twitter users to receive crypto payments. Mm-hmm. But it, through Lightning, you have to provide inbound liquidity to all those people. So just to let them use receive ten dollars, they would have to that would have to be what is it two point two billion? Mm-hmm. You'd have to put own two point two billion in Bitcoin just to put them in, just to give $10 of receiving capacity to every single Twitter user. That is very capital inefficient. That costs a lot of money. And so if you have a large routing node where I guess the the original idea of trying to avoid um, centralizing the network was it'll be too expensive to run a node. Mm -hmm. Well, now the only nodes anyone can use are big lightning hubs and they don't just have to process transactions they also have to have a lot of money in those nodes, a lot of capital. And then how are they going to get that capital back through routing fees? And so then the network will either become expensive or highly professionalized and uh, and, uh, centralized through that way. So all in all, I don't think Lightning should be scrapped though. I think it's, it's the, where it's ending up, it should continue to end up where in those use cases, I just think that they're, you know, there needs to be people need to use other solutions other than Bitcoin entirely or find a different way of getting Bitcoin to be usable for everyday payments. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I actually find the video, so I'm going to share it with you here. Uh, just bear with me one second. Okay. So. 
in like the first attempt that someone makes it that tries to make a payment should work so, so I think that will hardly be possible without severely changing the protocol so this is the way how the protocol is designed so payment failures or at least the failures of attempts are built in into the protocol the question is what can we do about this do we have like suggestions on that like what you could do is you could basically say well if I have enough liquidity let's do five of them concurrently and let's hope that statistically at least one arrives but then the question is if we do it in the current protocol if two arrives somebody could claim two payments and then you would overpay you don't want to do that what do you think Renee like do you okay so that actually makes a lot of sense now wow. it's amazing how that happens isn't yeah. it so so right so what they're then saying is that sometimes you'd have like one way to fix it would be to just you know it send loads of different attempts and then mm -hmm. the first one to work basically then that's it um yeah that seems really inefficient um and what you said about twitter is really interesting about they're not going to use the lightning network because honestly i'd been wondering was that something was that the way it might go um so the way you've explained it now saying so yeah so they would have to if everyone wanted to receive ten dollars they would have to be able to like have 2.2 billion mm -hmm. in in bitcoin but yeah that's just not gonna happen really is it like um and then that would their own their own like internal ability to exchange everything would then be sort of like differed by the the fluctuation in the price then they might not have enough at one point or like yeah yeah it could turn out to be a disaster now uh, one thing you could do if you had a social media network that you're trying to start that had a little bit more um patience for this kind of stuff is you could have each user have to bring their own liquidity to which they would say you would just say hey i'm gonna buy like i'm gonna in order to sign up for Twitter, you have to spend $20, 10 of it or 15 of it is for your own liquidity. And the five is the on-chain Bitcoin transaction to open up the lightning channel with the big, big hub. And then if you made people do that, then you get rid of, then only the people that want to do that would do it. That would work out better. But, you know, the problem is this whole like payment, uh, one thing. I've been because I've been very involved in the crypto space for about 10 years now. I've been using it, you know, almost daily for about 10 years. And there's a lot of friction in very new systems. And one thing I realize is this game of like trying to make things just work is it's brutal. <laughs> it's crucial that you, you do every, even a single second um, that you have to wait, uh, before your payment goes through is is like death almost to to immersion <laughs> experience. And so um, there's a really fantastic um, merchant app called AnyPay that some friends of mine um, maintain. And when you send crypto through that payment app, you scan the QR code and when you hit the send button in under a second or so, or maybe a second, it, it, it shows up as confirmed at the other end. And so that's an actual good payment experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you have some talks of, for example, for cryptocurrencies that don't have instant transactions, such as some of the Bitcoins, if you're using a, an on-chain, like a regular payment, um, there's a possibility it could be double spent. So you could have the payment 
sent two different spots actually. And then, so the merchant thinks they're getting paid by you, but then they actually get paid somewhere else and they're not going to wait 10 minutes for a confirmation. So the idea is if you have a double spend proof or something that the, the merchant software checks and see, sees if it's been double spent, then you, it, it helps mm -hmm. and it does, but the problem is you have to wait three to five seconds uh, three to five seconds doesn't sound too bad. But then if you think, if you imagine yourself in line, getting the coffee, all right, it's going to be, you know, eight euros for your latte and muffin. And then you go pay and ready pay. Oh, okay. okay it went through like that's, that's not very long, but it's painful if there's a big line of people behind you. Yeah, and but so that's that's the speed we currently operate at. No, is that not that's basically how long it takes to do a contactless thing. The contactless thing is like Oh wait, hang on. Do you do you do you have a lot of contactless in America? Now it's starting to become much more popular. I would call it maybe the majority around where I'm at now, but a, a very low majority. It okay. was, it's only the last couple of years, which is crazy because I use a lot of like interim solutions that require like buying a, like a digital prepaid card that's not tied to your identity and putting it in a, like a Google pay or something and using it. So if there's a business that doesn't accept contactless or whatever, I just don't even go there. <laughs> I just period will not. Cause I, you know, I'd have to like use cash or something. I have almost none of that. So. Oh, yeah. So yeah, the 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 settlement speed, but like to to your point, yeah, maybe five seconds is a bit long. But and I mean, it's it's the future of payments. You'd expect it to be quick, right? Yes. Um, but even worse though is the failed payment. Obviously, not everything goes well in in real world. But like, I can't remember the last maybe in the last five years, I've seen two people in the wild uh, with a card decline issue like i've almost never almost always it works if your card declined one out of every hundred times you used it you know how much anxiety and friction that that would place on you and that's that's a lot better than lightning mm -hmm. now imagine if you just okay well let's just say one in ten might not work and it just says wrap payment failed to route and you're just like what do i do now mm -hmm. like we can't have that at the the merchant level and Obviously, it's really hard to control for every possible thing. But uh, for the most part, the original Bitcoin structure of doing things, the on-chain, the way that works, and other coins that do something similar, it just works all the time, basically, without some extenuating circumstance, which I've run into all those extenuating circumstances over the years. But it's still out of like uh, several hundred payments. It's like maybe one will have a broadcast error that had something to do with a wallet bug when switching from Wi-Fi to data under a certain time frame, I did have that bug before, and I got the devs to fix it. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The it makes me think about the the internet speed because so I remember way back in the day um, when I set up my first site um, and I was just posting some stuff, I was having like issues with loading speeds. And I was like mm -hmm. looking at how quickly people clicked away if something didn't load instantly on the on a web page, um, and it's crazy how fast you lose basically everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and and it that's probably the same effect on like if you're trying a new payment method, right? Because I, I mean I've seen like my my contactless cards sometimes just the 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 machines a bit you know 
funny and you have to hold it at like the right bit of the, the thing, you know. Um, sometimes it's a bit difficult, but if you're trying a new payment method and you're being like told this is the future and then it takes, you know, five seconds and then doesn't work, you're going to be a bit like, well, this isn't any better. Like, how, how, why is this better than just using my card or my, my you know, Google Pay? Um, yeah. Or what it'll end up as is even if you do, even if it takes five, 10 seconds and you're like super excited, oh, this worked. I love this. It's new decentralized crypto. I love it. That's even if you don't think of it consciously, it's still in your brain. And so the next time you go to pay, you're just like, I'm just going to do the card this time. You don't even know why you made that decision, but your brain knows in the back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the whole reason that we're having this discussion is because people have mm -hmm. been required to create some sort of digital non-government sort of money. And a little mm -hmm. while back, you tweeted about this and you said, our grandchildren won't grow up in a world where the government issues the money. It'll be a completely foreign concept to them. So I've been on a little bit of a journey in terms of understanding mm -hmm. about our money um, over the last few years because um, of this podcast. I've got to talk to some some really fascinating people. Um, so I've I've really started to grasp the idea that all of the excess money printing is a horrible idea. And the fact that we have non-governmental agencies or, you know, entities, institutions, whatever you want to call them, the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve, mm -hmm. printing the money endlessly with nothing to back it is a crazy, 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 crazy idea to me. Uh, when you really think about what that, that means for, for yeah, just, just the, the way we imagine, like, payment and, and money and and maybe maybe people don't think about this that much i do um obviously you do too or you wouldn't be in this space as well of course so why do you think that these crypto basically why do you think that the cryptocurrency and and is gonna become the main form of money that we use like why won't the bank of england and the federal reserve issue um Bitcoin and you know Fed coin, um, you know we've already got mm -hmm. the digital, um, uh, yeah the the Chinese digital currency. Um, Bricks are talking about having a digital currency. Um, there's I think forty five countries now signed up or in the process of like developing um, central bank digital currencies. Like why is that gonna why is that gonna fail in your mind and it will not become some horrendous dystopian future because i really want some positive news here yeah so in the in the past i mean i i don't have like the most perfect linear memory of the history of money okay but i Obviously. do know that um government has not always had a central bank issuing all the money mm. like for example when you were on a say gold or gold or silver standard or whatever you had you had the uh, precious metal which is a good durable unit of account that store of value all the other stuff and different mints would mint the actual um transaction clearing method of that whereas like if you have a lump of gold that could have been money but like how are you how are you going to transact with that mm -hmm. and so you have banks or certain institutions basically doing the the modern equivalent of like a card or a payment app on top of the money to help you do it by just printing 
like putting it into small pieces and printing things on it that says this is one ounce of this and this is this mint that certifies that and so before you had a central bank that's kind of how it worked and unfortunately what happened was the technology advanced because technology is advanced in some interesting ways where um a lot of you know people of the older generations might be very leery of technology because they remember a time when they didn't have this level of control and surveillance by governments over everything that they do and technology has enabled that technology fortunately enables the opposite as well but it comes in waves and so the first bit of technological innovation on this of uh, paper notes as as um, instruments to you know certificates for silver gold whatever you had in your, of actual money uh, ended up making commerce very much more efficient and the problem is it also opened up the the risk of which ended up being an eventuality of uh, basically you know not only fractional reserve but then also um, disconnecting the actual representative of the money with the actual amount of the money to where now you could you could print more dollars than you had gold in the bank account for example mm -hmm. and then over a period of time they just got rid of the actual money and now are left with just the representation of what used to be money and a bunch of other things and the whole fiat scam that we have today and so it wasn't always that we had this central bank system and fiat currencies always collapse i, I mean over the over history they you know, one after another is a graveyard of fiat currencies um, I grew up in the north of Mexico and my grandmother had a bunch of old coins in her house that just didn't work anymore because in the 90s they the peso collapsed and they got a new one and the new one was seven to the dollar at the time although actually seven thousand but they just chopped off the zeros because yeah we'll just we'll just do that and then now that same is somewhere around 28 to the dollar or something like that and the dollar has significantly fallen as well and so all these things just that everyone in choir preaching going on here, right? Everything, everyone knows that these are all problems. But the thing is, imagine in, it's only been 15 years since the first decentralized digital currency got created. And already it's over a trillion dollar industry at one country, at least El Salvador has declared it legal tender instead of making their own. And I think it's, it's on this, trajectory where it's so easy for anyone to create uh, like honestly if you gave me a couple months and the help of chat gbt even though i don't know how to code i could make my own crypto that worked i could figure it out <laughs> so the fact that it's so easy to do means almost anyone can do it now and so then it's only going to be you know it, before you had no choice but for example if you have a series of tokens on a cryptographic network and one of them is dollar denominated that's great but then you could denominate one with gold for example in some you know meaningfully secure sort of a way then all of a sudden like why would you why would like what if your 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 paypal wallet or whatever can just have gold instead like all of a sudden that's a huge improvement and then et cetera, et cetera. it just gets so much easier to create um different monies and like I've been using crypto for 10 years and pretty much exclusively for eight years. And there's a bunch more like me starting to crop up now. And the fact that you could not do that with gold like 20 years ago or today, it's, you're seeing a trend, but more than that, um, 
the uh, just the fact that the technology allows you to transact peer to peer across borders and everything else like the fact that you can do that whereas before you needed all these institutions just to be able to use your money uh, makes it so that that stranglehold is kind of going to go away um, and also um, the f a lot of the reasons why people use institutions is because just living off of a cash economy where you pay people in cash you receive cash and then you store it under your mattress that's a limited financial system whereas in the real world you have a lot more complicated things like you have you know loans and investments and hedges and you know mortgages and whatever else and you needed institutions for that but now we're getting to this point where we don't need institutions um the thing there's a a project called thor chain as in thor's hammer mm -hmm. and it has a there's a fork of that called the maya protocol and there's a few others that are starting to crop up which technically are called i believe the technical term would be a their cross-chain automated market maker decentralized exchange chains, which basically means uh, they, they're they a, an exchange. Like, let's say a Coinbase. They're basically a Coinbase that is in its own blockchain and runs decentralized. So you, you take, you can swap any crypto asset for any other crypto asset they support with just a click of a button. You just throw one into one pool, you get the other one out of the other one, like a vending machine. And, but also the protocol is evolving to be able to do all kinds of interesting things, such as they, they have savings accounts too. So if you have only Bitcoin, you only care about Bitcoin, you can put your Bitcoin into this decentralized protocol. Again, not a company that anyone can, can steal your money for or anything, just to get decentralized protocol. You throw your Bitcoin in and can earn like say 3% Bitcoin denominated interest on your Bitcoin a year through this thing. So now you don't have to use a bank or an institution like that to get interest. And then they also have a lending protocol that they just uh, debuted, which would allow you to get a collateralized loan on your Bitcoin and pay back the fiat valuation at a later date. And there's all these things that we're now we're already starting to obsolete cryptocurrency exchanges like the, the, the exchange titans of the crypto.coms, the Krakens, the whatever else, we're already starting to obsolete that with decentralized. And so at at some point, it you will be able to tell, and by some point, I mean like a few years, not even that far from now, you will be able to tell someone, hey, just sign up for, just download this wallet, this app, and you can have your entire, the the you can have the, peak financial system of the world at your fingertips without trusting any centralized custodian or third-party intermediary. And so that's not just from peer-to-peer -peer cash, but for everything. And based on how fast this is going and growing, I can't imagine growing up in a world where for some reason people say, well, let's just let the government approve all our money if everything can be done without them like that. So what you're saying basically is that we're skip we're skipping or, or we're moving towards a world where the, the the big exchanges where all the big exchanges will die and they're just being made irrelevant by the possibility for people to just operate their own wallet essentially like almost just like a bank account that will will function without needing a bank. Yeah, basically, and uh, 
on that note, uh, I don't know if you've noticed that Coinbase is really promoting this thing called Base. They're like Ethereum L2 or whatever, okay. which I don't really, I'm not a user, but they're, they're basically trying to create a supposedly decentralized second layer system like a blockchain so that people can all do that. Basically, they understand that their business model is going to be obsoleted soon and they're trying to have a stake in whatever the next model is. And so um, one great example of what a exchange might be like in the future would be uh, there's one app called Thor Wallet. And basically it's a ThorChain front end that lets you do all this kind of trading and stuff, but also has a, an easy um, fiat on-ramp and off-ramp to it. So um, the entire wallet is non-custodial. You don't have to do KYC identity verification for any of it, except when you want to buy large amounts of crypto. And so already you've disintermediated a big chunk of what exchanges do. And we still have some little vestiges. So what I can see is basically exchanges right now have this large custodial operation going. And what I could see them doing in the future, obviously some will not survive, but the ones that do is just out basically outsourcing all the exchange architecture to a blockchain. Just saying, look, we're not going to have customer funds anymore. We're going to just give people wallets that they control. And we're going to do all this trading. We're not going to keep our own like order books, liquidity, all this stuff. We're just going to get rid of all that and just plug into a blockchain like ThorChain and run that as the engine behind the exchange. And then they will still operate the fiat on and off ramps. And then at some point you start to have fewer, less need for fiat on and off ramps. And then exchanges will just be like, just run interfaces basically, I think. Yeah, I've just been looking at. Sorry, I was I was listening to everything you were saying. I was mm -hmm. just I was looking and scrolling through the the Thor Wallet um, website. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I might have and to get one thing. This. I think is <laughs> one thing I I think has is fascinating is if you look under the buy option um, for the U.S., which is one of the worst places. Um, they do allow you to buy a certain amount without doing identity verification per year, something like $2,000 worth, which no other system would allow you to do. And in Europe, I don't know if it's Switzerland only for these terms, but it's something like 10,000 Swiss francs a day without providing identity verification. So for basically for Europeans, you can buy as much crypto as you want unless you're, you're crazy and no ID verification. And the reason they're able to do that is because they're not custodial. They're not a, a custodian. They just are uh, facilitating uh, the buying and selling of this. Of this, And so just from a regulatory perspective, all the uh, compliance issues, all the regular, uh, everything that comes on custodians, I think the cryptocurrency exchanges are going to be dying to move away from that legal definition and become non-custodial with everything that they do just so that they don't have to do all this paperwork and they don't have all these limitations and they can offer better uh, products for their customers. And also so that they, they can kind of, you know, wash their hands of like hacks and exploits because if an exchange, they lose all this customer money, then all of a sudden, like they're on the hook for that. They have to, you know, write a sob story of a, tw of a Twitter thread or something. And, you know, if they don't have to do that because it's a decentralized protocol handling everything, then I think that they jump at that opportunity. 
Do you, do you see banks surviving this? Because it sounds like if you're saying that all the money of the future will be digital, mm -hmm. therefore we won't need banks to hold and issue our money because we'll just be doing it. Like, will, will banks as we currently see them disappear and become just like different or maybe they'll become more corporate banking entities rather than, than, than for individuals. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, first of all, the fractional reserve banking system is due for a collapse at some point. And I mean, we've seen those bank collapses the last couple of years, uh, in the digital age where anyone, a rumor can spread on social media and then everyone clicks on their banking app to withdraw within a minute mm -hmm. and everyone then publishes, Hey, I haven't been able to get my money out in a day or two. Like the fractional reserve banks are a house of cards mm -hmm. where they don't have any customer money and they've just operated under this great illusion that, well, well, we do have your money just as long as like they've predicted the rate of inflow and outflow. And they've been like, okay, we can literally not collapse and lose everyone's money as long as this number of people don't come asking for their money. And then as soon as that gets tipped over, it's it's not just like they have problems. It's just like it dies. Every, mm -hmm. Everyone loses their money. It dies. And it's pretty insane to think about. So at that point, I think the, that system is going to go away. Um, as far as uh, already, they're starting to lose out a lot of um, a lot of things to like payment processors and like payment apps and things that take over. Although I have to say um, the system is so crazily intricately designed that it's going to take a while to completely weed out the banks. So for example, uh, if you want to use uh, if you want to pay with your card somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, obviously you have to have a bank and then the card and then you have a, a say visa or mastercard or one of those those big card providers so you have the bank and you have them and then they have to work with the merchant's point of sale system but that's <laughs> that's the simplest it gets worse so uh, if you want to have a let's just say you have a garmin watch it's like a health you know health tracker watch and they have garmin pay on there oh you can tap and pay and that's great there um first of all i didn't you probably have to make sure your bank is supported by Garmin Pay because every single Google Pay, Apple Pay, anything else, every single one of the banks has to be manually added as far as a as far as you know support. And so, if you just depending on your bank, you might not be able to use it to tap and pay with whatever system you got. And furthermore, I realized that um, I use. Um, for some of my my weird little workarounds, I use a uh, like a Google Watch with Google Pay on it, mm -hmm. and not only do you need to have whatever cards working in there supported by everything that 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 does, mm -hmm. the watch itself will work everywhere Google Pay works except for Square point of sale systems because they have some beef with Square for some reason. And so, wait, is that real beef or it, is it just like yes. is it like a real beef or a glitch? I don't know if it's a beef, but it's they've squares told me themselves that they don't support those devices, but well, they do so support that's, so that's so yeah. So it's deliberate basically is what you're saying. 
yes, it's it's either deliberate deliberate exclusion or it's they have not yet found a way to include it. Mm-hmm. But it's just that one merchant provider. And so there's this layer of parties in between you and your your money and the merchant that I'm sure in a modern financial system, there will always be a few different layers. But uh, it's so crazy at that point where um, the banks shouldn't even be involved in the payment clearing for just basic payments. And I think they're going to be extricated from that. And so I do think that the role for banks will probably be back to, you know, loans and financing and things like that. Mm. Now, of course, if you have a decentralized protocol that also does loans and financing, that gets really tricky for them too. So maybe banks will just be software companies that will be designing new lending protocols and contracts and things like that. That'll do that. Or maybe there will still be, um, they, there will still be a, a need to do something that's not sort of automated according to these rules where you have much more risk of loss that's not like socialized into the network in some way that's sustainable, that won't collapse the network, that all works out. Maybe there's some place where you do have to take real risk and you don't want to risk the entire network imploding. So you have to run your own, you have to have your own capital that from your own group of investors that they will, they're willing to risk losing for the possibility of profits. So mm-hmm. yeah, but that'll be a much, much lower, a much more institutional kind of a role than now. Yeah. Well, we'll see if they, if they, they certainly have the, the pockets to fund the development and to, to front it. And so that they don't disappear, but whether mm-hmm. such large institutions can move rapidly enough to, to outstrip the pace of like inno- innovation and startups, I guess we'll we'll see where it goes. Um, unfortunately, uh, that's all we got time for. Um, great to hear from you, man. It's a really, really interesting chat. Makes me a little more positive about where things are going. You know, it's always like doom and gloom. All oh, the CBDCs are coming. Oh, we're all going to be slaves. Oh, you know social credit score and you know but this is a much more positive vision of the yeah. future so i like that so thanks very much ma'am well i would think uh, thank you for having me and i would encourage people to um i think the world has become a significantly better place over the last few hundred years and it continues to up until the last 20 30 years even and unfortunately we do see a lot of things that are true which are a lot of things are going much worse but all the number of people lifted out of poverty, like a bunch of other things, it's just on exponential curve going upwards. It's so um, this could all go, this could all go to shit, of course. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very aware of that. I'm very careful to try to keep the world moving in a good direction. But I do think that as long as we keep building and keep on fighting these kinds of uh, overtures and of, you know, the controlling systems, I think that, I think we have the, opportunity to really live in a utopia for our grandchildren so here's to that i guess yeah oh i mean i'm not sure i don't think utopia is achievable but a better world always yeah (laughs) so yeah uh i'll put your twitter in the the description people can check you out um yeah you're tweeting some cool things i'm gonna check out this door wallet link also in the description Mm Um, and the Maya protocol, I will put that in there too. So yeah. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for joining me. Thanks a bunch. Hey everyone. Thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast. I love that you tuned in this long. Do me a favor, hit subscribe because 80% of you bastards are not subscribing, but you're watching my videos.
See you next time.